This is episode number 317 with aspiring data scientist, Edis Gonular. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by my very own book, Confident Data Skills. This is not your average data science book. This is a holistic view of data science with lots of practical applications. The whole five steps of the data science process are covered from asking the question to data preparation to analysis to visualization and presentation. Plus, you get career tips ranging from how to approach interviews, get mentors and master soft skills in the workplace. This book contains over 18 case studies of real-world applications of data science. It covers off algorithms such as random forest, k-nearest neighbors, naive bays, logistic regression, k-means clustering, Thompson sampling, and more. However, the best part is yet to come. The best part is that this book has absolutely zero code. So how can a data science book have zero code? Well, easy. We focus on the intuition behind the data science algorithms so you actually understand them, so you feel them through and the practical applications. You get plenty of case studies, plenty of examples of them being applied. And the code is something that you can pick up very easily once you understand how these things work. And the benefit of that is that you don't have to sit in front of a computer to read this book. You can read this book on a train, on a plane, on a park bench, in your bed before going to sleep. It's that simple, even though it covers very interesting and sometimes advanced topics at the same time. And check this out. I'm very proud to announce that with dozens of five-star reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, this book is even used at UCSD, University of California, San Diego, to teach one of their data science courses. So if you pick up confident data skills, you'll be in good company. So to sum up, if you're looking for an exciting and thought-provoking book on data science, you can get your copy of Confident Data Skills today on Amazon. It's a purple book. It's hard to miss. And once you get your copy on Amazon, make sure to head on over to www.confidentdataskills.com where you can redeem some additional bonuses and goodies just for buying the book. Make sure not to forget that step. It's absolutely free. It's included with your purchase of the book, but you do need to let us know that you bought it. So once again, the book is called Confident Data Skills and the website is confidentdataskills.com. Thanks for checking it out and I'm sure you'll enjoy. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super pumped to have you back here on the show. What an episode I have prepared for you today. I literally just got off the phone with Edis uh, just under an hour ago. And Edis is a very inspiring young man who is breaking his way through into the field of data science. So what you need to know about Edis is that he's already participated in a couple of Kaggle competitions. And one of them, he actually finished in the top 18%. He knows deeply about neural nets. He actually programs them for his Kaggle competitions, as you'll find out from the podcast. And something I was very impressed with right now is that he creates neural networks from scratch. He doesn't use PyTorch or TensorFlow just because he wants to learn how neural networks work. So it takes him a week or so to program a neural network, but he really dives deep into it. 
and he's started an artificial intelligence club in New York and lots and lots of very cool things are happening in his life. He got into the field of data science just under two years ago, just two years ago or so. But the most surprising thing you'll find is that Edis is only 15 years old. That's right, 15 years old and he's already doing these massive, crazy, cool things. In this podcast, we talked about Generation Z and how they use artificial intelligence and often don't even realize what, that there is artificial intelligence behind the products that they're using. We talked about Edison's path and how he got into the space of data science, why and how he continued and progressed into artificial intelligence. We talked about his Kaggle competitions. Edison shared how he codes models from scratch and why. We talked a lot about neural nets. We actually had a very deep dive into neural networks. So if you don't yet understand how they work or you want to refresh on your knowledge of neural networks, we discussed that. We talked about the neurons, layers, weights, uh, activation functions, normalization, standardization of data, min-max functions, quite a lot of things. It was a really cool discussion. For me personally, it was great to revise some of these things and refresh them in my own knowledge. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy all this. Plus, in addition to that, we talked about feature engineering and how he used this technique in one of his Kaggle competitions. Plus, we took it to the next level and Edis told us how he built an ensemble of neural nets. That was the first for me to hear that somebody's building an ensemble, not of just decision trees to build a random forest, but an ensemble of neural nets. And that was a very exciting um, conversation and you'll learn about how that works and how you can build your ensembles of neural nets and what the advantages of that are. And finally, we talked about the motivation, what keeps Edis going. So all in all, a very exciting, inspiring episode. Can't wait for you to check it out. So without further ado, I bring to you aspiring data scientist, Edis Gonyolo. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show. And Today, we've got a very special guest calling in from New York, Edis Goniler. Edis, how are you going? I'm going good. Thank you for having me here. I'm super excited to have you. Super excited. And um, since we caught up in uh, at Data Science Go in San Diego, how's your life been? What's What's been happening for you? It's been a few, a few months since then, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been a few months and it's been great. I'm really motivated to create data science projects, to explore different fields. And it's just been awesome. Mm. That's, that's really cool. And, um, uh, what's, what, like, what I was wondering about is like, what got you to come to data science go in the first place? how did you hear about the conference? Well, I listened to a lot of your courses on Udemy and that's basically a lot of, um, the content that I studied. And I was, I saw it in the email that you sent me or someone sent me and I just, I knew I had to be there. I knew it was going to be a great experience uh -huh. and that's how, that's how I went there. And I told my dad and I said, dad, I have to go here. I want to go. And he said, sure. And wow. That's so, how it all happened. Well, interesting. Cause I thought your dad brought you there. So it was the other way around. You encouraged no, yeah. you. <laughs> that's so cool. So you, and you live in New York. So you flew all the way from New York for the event. Yep. That's so cool. San Diego. It was a great experience. That's so cool, man. And like what fascinated me the most is you you probably noticed you were you were by far the youngest person there. How old are you? <laughs> I'm fifteen years old. Fifteen years old and you're at a data science conference. Well I got I got a caveat that I did see one one kid. He was <laughs> his mom did you see that kid? Like six five yeah, or six years um, old? 
toddler yeah 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 he was like there and his mom was like oh you got you got to learn data science you got to learn you know mathematics <laughs> <laughs> she was really pushing him five years old but you know like if, uh, if we don't take uh like apart from that kid you are you were by far the youngest and you were getting a lot of value out of it you know you were like asking the right questions you even came to the workshops was that right Yes, I did. I attended your workshop as well as the creating our websites mm -hmm. using Shiny, and they were really valuable experiences. Fantastic. Well, um, so what I wanted, like, of course, like I want to have a fantastic uh, chat and you know see how I can help you on this podcast, but I also want um, to see how you can inspire our listeners because you know at such a young age you've already kind of established for yourself that hey, this is the path I want to take. And I personally have never met anybody this young who is so far advanced in, in the space of data science and artificial intelligence. So yeah, let's let's kick things off. Like, why and how did you decide to get into data science? So I was my dad's a software engineer. So he already got me into the technology. And since I was very young, I have always had a computer. When I was really young, I was like watching videos, exploring the internet. And then my dad, he was talking to me about like creating websites and how you could create websites. And one night I remember we were going over something, how websites work. And he kind of uh, went into AI and kind of explained what AI is for me. Mm -hmm. And that night I just like sat on my desk for 30 minutes and I was like, wow, this is so cool. I was just like, oh my God, oh my God. And I started researching it and I found a lot of great courses and I started watching them and that's and i started creating projects and that's how i i learned that's how everything started okay but you don't have ai at school right uh so no we do have computer science courses in yeah. school where they teach you a little bit uh html and css uh but we don't have like a strictly ai class okay was it hard to learn how to create ai um well there were some challenges, of course, and there's a lot of content online, which I think it's a really big, um, which is really good, but also it could be a really bad thing because not knowing which content to pick and you could waste time trying to pick content. But I just started on Udemy and listened to a few of your courses and that got me like super pumped up and I just started exploring and creating projects and learning from there. Uh-huh. Okay. Gotcha. And so what is it that your dad said? Do you remember that got you so inspired? I think he was explaining how you can predict what movies users would like based uh -huh. on previous data. Uh -huh. And I was just like, especially about that example, I was just like, I was so um, interested in how it worked. And yeah. Okay. Okay. So have you used Netflix yourself? Was it, was it cool to realize uh -huh. that that's happening in the background? Definitely. Definitely. And when I learned what it is, I realized that a lot of things in um, in life, like a lot of different products like Netflix, self-driving cars actually use AI. Yeah. And I've always heard the term AI, but I didn't really know what it means. Uh -huh. And it was just like, it was just like a light bulb going off in my head. Fascinating. So like, I've never thought about this, but from what you're saying, I'm gathering that, you know, we talk a lot about millennials, like I'm a millennial, you're probably, if you're 16, so you would probably be a generation Z because like a millennial yeah. is defined as someone who was at, at I think 16 years old at least 16 years old when the year 2000 came around 
but you were you're only born you were only born in 2003 yeah. so you're gen z and like we talk a lot about uh, generation z and how there is uh like i'm not talking particularly about you but in general there's this addiction to social media mobile phones and uh, generation yeah. z people are very good with technology and so on but it's interesting to hear that until recently you actually didn't know how artificial intelligence works even though you use it to your advantage pretty much daily yeah definitely like um a lot of things that we use and some something as basic as siri uh we don't realize that there's actually ai behind it mm -hmm. and I, that was just fascinating to me when i first learned ai when i was first watching courses i was like oh this i use this every day almost mm -hmm. and it just made me more ma motivated to learn it and to progress okay well tell me how long ago was this conversation with your dad uh this was about two years ago when i was in eighth grade i believe oh my god <laughs> <laughs> wow your dad's a legend yeah. that's so cool huge props to your dad okay so you were 14 you had this conversation did you i'm assuming you didn't know python back then i was actually 13 13 um, wow yeah so yeah back then i didn't know python i did have a little bit of experience with html you know just basics but after that conversation after i started researching online i realized that it was either python or r mm -hmm. and i looked at a few of the examples and python seemed more like pseudocode mm -hmm. more readable code mm -hmm. so i decided to just pick python and go with it uh -huh. and from there i started learning python you know uh -huh. the basics variables uh, loops and it just got me more and more fascinated fascinated as i went Cool. And how long did it take you to learn Python? It took me about uh, six months, I would say, because uh -huh. I also had school meanwhile. So I was trying to balance school and um, I was also trying to learn. Uh -huh. Six months to get to what level? Six months to get to like an intermediate level. You know, I knew most of the concepts in Python. Uh -huh. And that's when I started uh, learning AI. Okay. All right. So which course in AI did you take? Uh, the first course that I actually took was your course on Udemy. Uh -huh. uh, it was in, uh, machine learning A through Z. Uh -huh. That's and, a big course. Yeah, and I finished it in about a month because I just like no countless way. amount of nights, countless mm -hmm. amount of months. I like slept really, really late. You know, I woke up early in the mornings before school just to watch a few lectures. And even on my commute to school, I used to watch the lectures and I was always thinking about it, even in school, how would I solve this problem or how would I do this? Wow, that is crazy. That's like a 40 hour long course with over yeah. 200 or even 300, 300 tutorials. That's insane to do it in a month. <laughs> wow, like I, the best uh, the best ones I heard was people doing it in two months. And like average is about <laughs> three months, I think. You did it in one month. Crazy, man. So, um, and your knowledge of python was sufficient to take that course by then yeah definitely it was sufficient enough and also in that course it's also written in r half bits in python half bits in r so i also explored onto r mm -hmm. to learn some of r um at that time okay okay so machine learning is it cool um machine learning is indeed a, a type of form of artificial intelligence did you ever go deeper did you go into like reinforcement learning and those types of concepts yeah, definitely. Uh, those were like machine learning was kind of a like gateway. Uh -huh. It was really, really interesting. But when I saw deep learning and reinforcement learning, I got even more interested and more motivated to learn all this stuff. And that's when I started buying the books, the heavy math books. And 
because I realized that a lot of math needs to be learned in order to actually grasp these concepts. Uh-huh. And I started reading book after book, uh-huh. learning all these concepts. Okay, gotcha. So like you're probably way ahead of your class in terms of mathematics. <laughs> well, the thing is, when you in school, when they teach you math, you don't really understand why they teach it to you. And that's why I really love data science and AI, because all the things, all the math that you learn in school, you can apply it. Uh-huh. And it's just cool to see how it all clicks into place. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Um, all right. So you, you learned some, uh, you know, learned the Python, you did the course, you learned some mathematics, uh, and then what, when did you start doing your first projects? When did you actually like get, you know, feel, feel, I don't know, like a spark of creativity towards artificial intelligence? Yeah. So that was about last year uh-huh. when I was in ninth grade. I started with Kaggle. I looked at a few competitions and I decided to join it. My first uh, attempt wasn't very successful, uh-huh. but I learned a lot. I learned a lot of different cool things like feature engineering is very important. Um, definitely data, analyzing the data before actually putting it inside a model and training it. It's really important. And after that, I joined a few other competitions and the last competition, my most recent competition was the 1C competition. Uh-huh. It's a Russian software company uh-huh. where you had to predict how many of each item would be sold in the next month. Uh-huh. And it was a really good experience for me. I learned a lot of different cool things. And at the end, I got into the top 18% using ensemble methods. Uh-huh. That's very impressive. And- Out of just just for to, you know, to give us a, a sense of um how big the competition was how many people 18 percent out of how many uh about i don't want to lie but about five thousand i believe four thousand five hundred somewhere over there that's that's very good that's very good result yeah and i just i try to improve my uh results and i try to join more competitions because creating projects and experience is the most valuable thing and Mm -hmm. it's what makes you learn Mm-hmm. Um, at one point after watching all these courses and reading all these books, I realized that I was learning, but because I wasn't applying it, I was forgetting the stuff that I already learned. So I just decided I'm going to stop the books uh-huh. and I'm going to actually start creating projects. And that helped me a lot. Okay. Gotcha. So, um, let's go into that a little bit. I, I love talking about Kaggle competition. So you 18, uh, top 18% in this one S, uh, company competition to predict, uh, uh, total sales for products in stores. Um, and plus, you know, you did some competitions before that on Kaggle, a few. So you mentioned ensemble methods that got you quite far. Tell us if you don't mind sharing what, what was like, what exactly, what ensemble method did you use and and why, and how did you go about exploring, getting to this solution? Okay. Yeah. So I looked at my data and before using ensemble methods, I tried a few different, uh, I tried, uh, neural networks. I tried SVMs and I realized that it wasn't getting the result that I expected. And the engineers that I feature, the features that I engineered weren't uh, as useful in these models. So I was just like, let me just try an ensemble method. So I think I used a few neural networks and on top of that put linear regression. Mm. And I think that that's what got me the top 18%. Wow. So you used an ensemble of neural networks. Yeah, neural <laughs> networks. And I think I also used SVM. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm not completely sure, but yeah. That's was, crazy. Really that, when people say ensemble methods, usually like a random forest or you know something more more basic. Yeah. But you use an ensemble of neural <laughs> networks. <laughs> that's like, oh, that's like a next level. Okay, so tell me then, you used this ensemble method and um, how, because the way you say it is like, oh, I tried SVM, I tried neural nets, I tried uh, linear regression, I tried uh, anything else. Like, how difficult is it to put together like a model? Um, how long does it take you to code one one of those from scratch? Uh, so I try to, so what I try to do in projects, the whole point of doing projects for me is to learn. It's not really to get into the top 18% or the top 5%, it's to learn. Yep. So I usually code them out from scratch, not using any libraries, just to understand the math behind it. Wow. So usually um, some of like linear regression and multiple linear regression take me maybe, uh, you know, a day uh -huh. to train and to, but some of the more complex methods like neural networks, building it from scratch could take me up to a week you know, just to build it because I also have a lot of different things going on. So I don't really have that much time to code. Oh, hold on, hold on. So you, you're, did you build neural networks without like TensorFlow or yes. PyTorch? Yes. Uh, I, I did it just to understand the math behind it. And <laughs> wow. It, that, that's crazy, man. Yeah. That is insane. You build a neural network without using existing libraries. That that is definitely going to get you to learn. Like I see your point. Like you you're gonna yeah. you're gonna know them so so my you know like so well after that. And um, how how do you know that like you didn't make any mistakes along the way? There's so much math involved. Well, there is so much math. So I used um I I was of course I didn't do this off the top of my head. I researched online to see like how it would work and then the formulas in like the mathematical aspect. And I just kept on trying and trying and trying. And then I, I compared from one of the libraries uh -huh. uh, from, I think, I believe from TensorFlow, uh -huh. the neural network, I imported it and also my neural network. And it was about the same um, error. It gave about the same loss. Uh -huh. So I realized that it was mine. The one I created was pretty good uh -huh. and it worked. Okay. Wow. Very cool. All right. So you built your own neural and you said it took you about a week to build a neural network from scratch? Yeah, about a week. Uh -huh. <laughs> Interesting. Because when I asked you the question from scratch, I was... I actually thought to myself, oh, I shouldn't have said from scratch because you probably were using, you know, like libraries, like drag and drop, like putting things together. Because yeah. if, if you use like TensorFlow or PyTorch, it's going to take well, like two hours to build a neural network, yeah. maximum. Yeah. Right? It's more about the architecture that you decide upon. Um, so yeah, how did you go about that? Like, how did you go about experimenting with the neural net architecture? What can you tell? What like what insights can you share? What did you What did you learn for that specific challenge about sales prediction? Yeah, so um, you in the neural networks, you online and in the books, they usually recommend that in the middle of the neural network uh, to put a lot of neurons, and then towards the ends, not to put a lot of neurons. Uh, yeah. Neurons. Yeah. And I realized that to be true. But what I did in the beginning was I just put a bunch of neurons and I just tested it out. And the result that I think I got from that was if you put neurons in the first few layers, yeah. it's not as good as putting them in the last few layers. So in the beginning of your neural network, try to keep it simple. And towards the end, um, try to amp up the amount of neurons. Okay. Why do you think that is? Because you coded these from scratch. You know the math. Mm -hmm. you, you kind of maybe have a better sense for what's going on in there than most of us what would you say are your comments on like why do you think 
you this uh, you're seeing this inside well to be honest with you i'm not 100 sure but i think that in the beginning since the data is completely like it's fresh you know nothing has been applied to it you it needs to be basic mm-hmm. and it needs to just have just each um each neuron has to have like a specific weight and then towards the end as the numbers get all jung- jumbled up it doesn't really matter um as much so i think you could use more weights there uh-huh and then to get a, an output and this is just my uh this is my experience and this is how it worked for me mm-hmm. so i'm not sure how it would be for other types of neural networks but in my experience using this data set from this cag competition this seemed to work pretty well okay uh what uh activation function did you use in your neural net i think i used relu uh-huh. i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right but i also i tried a lot of different activation functions i believe i used atom and i've realized that really was the easiest one to use and it, it was it got me the most effective results okay all right you know what i got an interesting idea let's try i love doing these things to recap my own knowledge and solidify it but also maybe somebody listening to this will find it useful let's try together to explain neural nets in a couple of you know minutes We're far, mm-hmm. obviously we don't have visual aids because this is a podcast <laughs> but it's going to be tough but let's see if we can do it so um okay. neural net like what how would you summarize it up what is a neural net so i would summarize it like this i would say you're trying to simulate how a brain works um using a machine uh-huh. so in a brain you would have neurons you would get an imp- uh, input and then that results in output So a famous example for this is when you touch a hot pot, yeah. you move your hand away. Uh, you're getting input that it's hot and your neurons are saying, well, you're going to burn. So yeah. move your hand away. So I think that a uh, neural network is very similar to this. You get an output, uh, an input, sorry, an input, and it goes through, through all these neurons and then you get an output at the end. So okay. this is how I would probably sum it up. It's There's a lot more to it, uh-huh. but in like a few sentences, That's a good that's a good start, it's a good summary. Um now let's let's uh unwrap it a little bit. So I'm going to I'm going to describe a bit how it works and then you can add your comments up to that. Sound good? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we everybody can probably imagine everybody's already seen like I'm going to assume here that everybody's already seen a basic image of a neural net. You have like these circles vertically aligned. That's your first input layer. It can be 3, 5, can be 100, can be 1000. Those are like where your inputs come in. Then they're all interconnected to the next layer, next uh, vertical um, aligned layer of these circles, which are neurons. It can be more circles or less than in the first layer and so on. So all these layers are connected to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. And in the end, you have like one output neuron or maybe even several output neurons in the output layer. And so they're connected. And what happens is you're near your... Information, just imagine, it's coming in from the left into these input neurons. It has to be obviously uh, any graphical image, like any graphics or any uh, text has to be all changed into numbers. The numbers have to be normalized and so on. So basically your inputs, uh, which can be different columns in your data sets as well. So any variables are put into your input layer. Then what happens is... Each of these, every next neuron in the next layer, let's pick a random neuron, it's connected, let's say, to all of the neurons in the previous layer with these lines. These lines are called synapses. And every synapse has a weight assigned to it. 
So the neuron gets assigned a value which is equal to the weighted sum of the input values multiplied by the weights of the synapses. So it's basically as simple as that. Like when I learned this for the first time, I was so shocked that it's 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 all it's just as easy as a weighted sum of your input values in that neuron. Then an activation function is applied on top of that, which we'll talk about in a bit. And then the same thing happens for all the neurons in that hidden layer. And then again, this process repeats for next layer, next layer, layer. And so basically all the time, all this happening is you're adding up the values that you have in your current layer, multiplied by their weights in the synapse to get the value in the uh, associated neuron. You're calculating that for all the neurons and you're going through uh, the whole neural network. So that process called forward propagation goes from left to right. Does that sound about right? Yep. Yeah, that, that's a great way to sum it up. Like you said, it's as basic as that. It's nothing um, really complex. Uh -huh. It's basically like linear regression is a really good foundation for that. Um, it's That's basically what a linear regression does. But yeah. our neural network just does it in a much wider scale, in a much larger scale. Yeah, that's so, a good yeah. way of putting it as well. Okay, cool. And so, so that's how they work. So once your neural network is trained and the weights are defined, that's how exactly it works. So then the question for you, um, Edis, where do the weights come from? Okay, so the weights are first initialized, and then after that... What does that mean? The weights are in, so they're initialized, they have a value, so you first set them all to zero or one. Uh -huh. And so when the numbers pass through, as they go through the neural network, they get multiplied by one, or they get multiplied by zero, and, that gets, and then you get an output from those inputs. I, I, would, I would add a small uh, correction there. Like it's usually a value close to zero. So if they're all zero, then it's just going to be not going to really yeah, work. It's going to be zero. But, and then after that, after you get the output, it compares it to the output that it's supposed to get. So when you're training the model, it compares to the output that you're supposed to get. And it looks at the, the difference and the loss function. And based on that, it changes the weights. It either makes them more or it makes them less. And it tries to make this neural network get an output that's as close as the real value. And this is just a summary. There's way more to this than I'm explaining, but this is basically just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in forward propagation, the data goes from, or the information goes from left to right, feeds through the, feeds forward through a network. And then in, as you said, in the training data set, you actually, because by definition in the training data set, you already have the outputs that you're supposed to get. Like if you're training a neural network, whether to distinguish between a dog and a cat, you already have like 10,000 images, which are labeled dog and cat. So you have the answer, you compare it to the answer. And depending on your loss, loss function or your error, you do back propagation. So then you propagate the error back through the network. And basically what that means is that the network automatically just slightly permutates those weights, so changes them a little bit to reduce the error, to aim to reduce the error. And there's, um, you know, processes behind that, such as gradient descent, stochastic gradient descent, yeah. batch gradient descent, and so on, which we're not going to go into. But basically, there's ways that the neural network can slightly adjust the weights to see if it can get the better, the answer better, closer to the result. And that's why you need a lot of data, right? So that you can do this many thousands of times before you get those final weights that work well for your problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is this was like a good summary of it. And it's not very complex, but I feel like it could be. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of math behind it, which is, you know, it's good to understand because that's, that's a good foundation for it. 
for sure. Look at us. We explain neural nets on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> the question is how useful that is. I wonder if, if listeners got value out of that, but hopefully, hopefully. they did. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, and so activation functions are simply the function that's applied to the output of the neuron. So the input into a neuron is the input. So the input of the neuron is like whatever values were in the previous neurons times the weight. So weighted sum. And then the output of a neuron is that weighted sum, but we apply an activation function. And the one, uh, so a very simple one is the threshold function, where if, if the weighted sum is less than zero, then we turn that neuron off and make it a zero. If it's more than zero, well, then we turn that neuron on and make the output a one. That's a very simple activation function called the threshold function. The one that. Yeah, that's indeed. Yeah. Uh, and the one that you use is called the ReLU or rectifier. Uh, how would you explain that one? Yeah, so uh, if you look at a graph of it, basically below below zero, it's a straight line. And after zero, it's the line y equals x. Yeah. And this is used for predicting numbers and not prob uh, not probability, so not a percent. Yeah. But it's used to predict numbers. And it's very useful in a lot of different cases, um, like in the competition that I had, where you would predict the number of items sold. This was the best. This was the function that the activation function that i found was most useful uh -huh. that's that's very very accurate uh description um uh, so it's basically it's kind of like the threshold function the the very simple one that we just talked about but where below zero the neuron is off above zero the neuron is equal to one here it's like if your value is below zero then the neuron's off but if your value is above zero then your um value your output of the neuron is equal to the value so so you you maintain the value you don't change it to a simple one okay and what other activation function can you think of um i can think of adam i haven't really used it i i don't i've just heard of it and i've what about, heard a lot of good what about the sigmoid activation function yeah so the sigmoid activation function is also useful but it's useful in a different case so when you're pre predicting probability yeah. Uh, you can use the sigmoid activation function, and what it would do is based on you would set a threshold so below zero point five, so below fifty percent or above fifty percent. So if you're, for example, predicting if a cell is is a cancer cell or not, mm -hmm. and you get a percent, you would want to change it to either yes or no. So mm -hmm. you would say if it's below zero point five, it's a no. If it's above zero point five, it's a yes. And that's basically at its core what the sigmoid function is. Okay, so it's the same function that's used in a logistic regression. Yes. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. And that's just the three activation functions. I, I checked the Wikipedia page recently for activation functions. There's like 30 of them, at least. There's a ton, yeah. So it just shows that in neural nets, there's a lot of room for creativity. Like you can, as the architect of the neural network, um, you can decide how many neurons am I going to have, how many layers am I going to have, uh, and what activation functions am I going to use. And, you know, lots of other things, but those are kind of the main things that you can tweak and, and just de design your own neural network. How, I wanted to ask you, like, what do you like more? Do you like the mathematics aspect and coding the neural nets? and um, Or do you like the architectural aspect of the neural networks? Well, I think they tie in together because mm -hmm. when i like personally the math aspect a little bit more because you understand how it works and it's good to know the math to actually build architecture because when you know the math you know how it would work 
And based on that, you could you could predict even before training your neural network because neural network takes a lot of time to train. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a good architecture, you could waste hours of time and not have a good model. Mm-hmm. So I think they tie in. But personally, me, I like the math aspect a little bit more. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And you also mentioned um, feature engineering, right? So that's a very important part for any kind of machine learning or artificial intelligence for that matter. Um, Definitely. Tell us a bit about that. So like, what is feature engineering and what kind of cool features did you come up with for this Kaggle challenge that you were in? Yeah, so feature engineering is definitely, feature engineering is creating a new feature based on the data that you already have. So one of the features that I created for my competition, for the competition I was in, was there was a bunch of items and I said, I created a feature is CD. So if the, if the word CD wasn't the item name, uh-huh. then in the column is CD, it would be yes or uh-huh. no. And this helped me because I realized that CDs were sold more than other products. Uh-huh. So this kind of helped me to just take them and put them on a different side and say like, okay, this is a CD, the weight is going to be a little bit more or how am I going to, and it made me think, how am I going to use this Interesting. Um, to build a better neural network, to build a better model? Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay, so that's a... Um, unusual way of engineering a feature. So you're pulling name from text data yep. or values from text data, creating a Boolean variable. Very cool. Uh, and indeed, like maybe some domain knowledge about the company, the um, the market that it's in, that one, uh, 1S company indeed sells a lot of CDs because they, I think they're mostly, like a lot of them are used for uh, corporate type of accounting software and things like that. And so that's one feature. Did you engineer any other features? Um, other the other features were just like the means of the columns and the the mode and other stuff. So it wasn't like major. This one was the most interesting one, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and the one that I realized was the most effective. I would say. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, what do you mean mean of the column? So you take a col- mean of a column and you. Uh, create a feature that has the same value across all of the rows? Yeah, so what I would do is I would take the mean uh-huh. and I would subtract it from the actual value so the difference okay. between the mean and the actual number. And I realized that in some competition this helped because in my previous competition this was a useful feature, but in this competition it wasn't as useful as it was in my previous competitions. Okay. So it varies from competition to competition. Okay, okay, gotcha. Um, interesting. And so feature engineering, like you'd think that you have all these inputs, you just use them. Why is feature engineering so valuable? Uh, feature engineering is important to bring out the best in the data. So uh-huh. some of the features might not be useful in the way that they're presented, but if you can extract something from that data, you know, most of the item names wouldn't be used because they're text. It would be hard to, you know, you could use NLP, but it would be harder to translate them to numbers. But if I know that I can pull CD from the item name into a separate column, that would be way more useful than spending my time um, changing the text into numbers. So just pulling, extracting the parts that you need from data. Okay, okay, gotcha, understood. And uh, how did you um, normalize your data before feeding it into the neural net? Did you use standardization or did you use uh, uh, min-max? What did you use? I used standard... I tried it out a lot, and this was a few months ago, so I'm not completely sure, but 
I used MinMax, I believe, in my final um in my final submission. Uh-huh. Because standardization, I believe it's it didn't work as well for me. Yep. As MinMax, you know, and it's just based on the data. MinMax, which is basically taking the maximum of the column and the minimum of the column and subtracting them. I believe that worked better for me. Yep. And like I said, all these all these things like feature engineering, the model, they all depend on the data. And that's why data, like exploring your data and visualizing it is a very important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a second. Let's let's just um let's talk about for a second as well about standardization or normalization of data. Like why do you need to normalize variables before feeding them into a neural network? What what would um, your mm-hmm. one paragraph summary or comment on that be? Yeah, so uh, normalization or standardization is very important because there's a lot of outliers. There can be outliers in data. And aside from outliers, some numbers like in one column, the numbers could be thousands, like it could be a hundred thousand. And in the other column, it could be one, could mm-hmm. be a value of one. So if let's say in this competition with the items, the amount sold last month could be two, but the mm-hmm. price sold could be a hundred. So when you when you put these numbers inside a neural network, two and a hundred, um, one is obviously bigger than the other. And the neural network could have a bias saying that the number that's bigger, it's um, it's stronger. It has a it's that that feature is more important it's like overwhelming yeah and to not have this problem you standardize and you convert them into small numbers usually between negative one and one or negative two and two and it it solves this problem of you know having a bias model fantastic fantastic love the description so uh indeed you you want to make sure the numbers are not only um you can't like you can't add kilometers and kilograms, for instance. You want them to have the same unit of measurement or no unit of measurement, for that matter. And yeah. you want them to be on the same scale, like you said. If you have a one and a two hundred value or a hundred value, then one will overwhelm the whole neural network. And so, one way to standard, uh, so one way to normalize the process of bringing all values to a common scale is called normalization. One uh, process of doing that is called standardization, where you subtract the mean. Of, a, of that variable across the whole column. So for, from your, from in every row, you subtract the mean of that variable and divide by, standard, by the standard deviation. That gives you a value, uh, like a, distri- a value which is distributed around with a mean of zero and a standard deviation of one. And then that way, all of your columns become like that. Or the other one that you said you used in your Kaggle competition uh, in the end was min-max, where you just take um, maybe you can describe this one better. Like, yeah. So you take the value that you want to normalize and you subtract it from the min. You subtract the min from that value and yeah. then you divide it over the difference between the maximum and the minimum value in that column. Yeah, and that gives you a number between zero and one every time. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, naturally. And so that's another way of uh, normalize, oh, standard, normalizing variables. So there we go. Describe. We talked about. I think that's a very important concept in um, a lot of machine learning, including deep learning, to understand how best to normalize. And that's you know de- even depending on what you choose, do you choose standardization, do you choose min-max or some other approach? That's going to give you a different result, and that's what you saw in your competitions, right? Yeah, and it makes uh, you might say like one or two, you know, one or two decimal places off 
it's not a big deal. But at the end, when you go through, when it goes through all these different models, that those numbers, even if it's a one or a zero or a negative one, it makes a huge difference at the end. Mm -hmm. How, why, like, how would you describe that? Like, why does it make such a big difference? Why, why does the type of normalization that you choose play such a big role? Well, because there's a lot of these numbers and data sets normally are really big. So when it goes into these um, models, if a number is between zero and one, it would get a different result than if it was between negative one and one. Uh -huh. And when it goes through these models, something that is not negative would make a huge effect. Uh -huh. Yeah, it, okay. it would make a different effect. Yeah, and I guess and another point would probably be that uh, some of these activation functions like the ReLU are not symmetrical around zero. So if you have negative numbers there, a lot of them will yeah. like, get dropped off along the way. Interesting. Okay, and you mentioned another thing about neural nets is uh, analyzing or exploring your data before the model and how that helps. Tell us a bit about that. Like, why why can't I just like take my challenge and jump straight into modeling and creating these features and building the neural net right away? What's what's the benefits of exploring your data beforehand? Well, you would know which features are have the biggest correlation with the end what you what the, the result you want to get mm -hmm. with the output so you want to explore your data and you want to find these correlations and you want to also see what kind of data do you have do you have text do you have numbers do you have um categorical feature uh, categorical features and based on that you know even when you're data pre-processing in that stage you want to know what do you have to do what do you have to apply and that makes all the more difference just looking at your data and seeing what is it like what is there yeah okay and when you say explore what do you mean by that um just create graphs create charts create heat maps to visualize the correlation between two features and these there are great libraries for these like matplotlib um seaborn is a really good one that i use and it's it helps you a lot in the others steps in building your model in pre-processing your data because you get to see all your data at once okay all right gotcha so you kind of like look for these correlations beforehand and then you know better which features are will likely be most important for your neural net or which features um will be like which features you can engineer that will be useful and uh tell me then you said you use ensemble of neural nets like yeah how does that work? What what were the differences? Was it like the same neural net, like a typical ensemble method where you just feed in um, different subsets of the data to the different neural nets and then you average out the response or was were the neural nets themselves different in the ensemble? So, yeah, so there, like you said, there's two ways to do that. And I picked the first way that you said. What yeah. I did was I created um, four or five different neural networks. I trained them all with data and then I use a linear regression, so I average them, and I use a linear regression to predict the output, to pick the output. And I think that when you average them, it's really good because each model can have a different bias towards yeah. the feature. Yeah. And when you average them, it, it doesn't cancel out, but it gives you it gives a new perspective, kind of. And I mean, these are just numbers. New perspective sounds wrong, but that's really what it is. Interesting. Okay, so it was the same neural network. It was like a copy-paste yeah. five times of the same neural network. Right. I did play around with some of the neurons and the way they were placed, yeah. but overall, it was about the same type of neural network. 
Okay, same type of neural network, but did you feed in uh, different subsets of your training data to them? Yes, I split it into four or five different subsets, and I gave each neural network one type, one mm -hmm. of those subsets, yeah. and trained it on that, and then Interesting. validated it. And were they, were they uh, how big was the training data set? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was about 100,000. Okay, so I about 20,000 each. Were the were the predictions of the neural nets drastically different? They weren't drastically different, but for some of the for some of the items that it predicted, because these were items, so they were in the like one to twenty range. Yeah, yeah. So they weren't drastically different, but I would say averaging them just even if it's by a little bit, it improves the score, improves the loss function. It yeah, just, it just helps a lot. Ensemble methods are great in general. Like I find they're much more stable than if you use a single method, uh, because as you said, it because it has, like it just can be biased towards a one feature or a certain in a certain direction. Whereas if you have ensemble methods, you you're kind of in a way leveraging the law of large numbers. It's it's like a democracy. You're less yeah. likely to make an error, even if one of them makes an error, or on average they average out. Yeah. That's very cool. Okay, so why do you choose that approach rather than having, you know, five radically different neural nets and feeding all of them the same data? I thought that this would keep me more organized. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, when I thought about it, I thought that this would be the best way. And probably back then, I didn't know that there was another option. Yeah. And, you know, so I just, I just decided to do a few neural networks with the data and then just average them. Yeah. And... That would be the output. That would be my prediction. Yeah, gotcha. And that is the more classic approach because that's the same approach you'd use for your decision trees to create a random forest yeah. and so on. Okay. And what did you use? I'm just curious, like because an ensemble of neural nets would require quite a, a bit of computing power. Did you definitely. use Amazon or do you use your own computer? What do you use? Uh, so I definitely did not use my own computer. That would <laughs> be almost impossible. Yeah. Uh, I I remember training a few on uh, Kaggles kernels yeah. on their notebooks um i believe i also used google's platform google uh co collab mm -hmm. and i trained a few there and here and then at the end i just wrote them down to one file on my computer and i actually averaged them out on my own computer ah gotcha there's okay goes. nice very nice um awesome well very un uh, like creative and uh, non non-unconventional approach to this problem. I haven't heard somebody use an ensemble of neural nets, but I guess we're entering the world of unlimited computing power where it's going to be easier and easier to create crazy things like that. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, like, thanks a lot for this discussion on neural nets. I think that was very useful. Yeah, I haven't, Yeah, I haven't had this on the podcast yet where we dove so <laughs> deep into it. And that was, for me, even great to refresh on these things. I wanted to change gears a bit and talk a bit about like motivation, you know, like where do you get the motivation at 15 or 16 years old, right? To 15, 15, sorry, man, at yep. 15, it's no, still, it's still doesn't sit right in my head <laughs> at 15 years old to go and like keep plowing ahead, waking up early, watching videos, coming home from school, watching, you know, like uh, course videos again. Um, and participating in Kaggle competitions, going to conferences, reading books about mathematics. Like, your friends are probably out there, 
I don't know, playing sports or partying or yep. other things. Like, how do you keep yourself motivated? Well, when you have fun, it's really easy to keep yourself motivated. And when I'm doing data science, I find that like playing sports doesn't make me happy. Um, partying doesn't either. But when I'm doing these data science projects, I see myself like I'm happy, I'm motivated, I'm, I'm just there and I'm willing to put in the time and the effort. And I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, motivation defeats all the obstacles. And if you use motivation and if you put in the time and the effort, then all the obstacles will turn into a valuable learning experience. And yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, very, very true. You do go outside sometimes, right? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. All right. Um, okay. So you're just having fun. How, how did, when did, did you start having fun right away? Like, how do you find, how did you find that fun in artificial intelligence and neural networks and machine learning? Because for, to be honest, a big part of it is quite tedious data preparation or yep. uh, even coding mathematics into code. Like, how did you find the fun in it? Yeah, so when I first began, um, it wasn't as fun as it is now. It was, yeah. like you said, the data preparation is a little bit sluggish and it's not as fun. But I always had the end goal in my mind that this, if I learn this, then I get to the models and I get to the neural networks, then then that's when it starts to be cool. So I was like, okay, it's coming, it's coming. It's the next thing that I'm going to do. It's going to be fun. It's going to be cool. And when you put that in your mind, you're willing to just learn these things fast and then get to the cool part, get to the exciting part and just do projects. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so you kind of like promised yourself it will be fun and it turned to be yeah. fun. Yeah, and it turned out to be actually more fun than I expected. I was always <laughs> saying, like, this is the future. This is like, if I want to learn something, like I have to learn this. And that just, it just kept pushing me. Like I kept pushing myself and my family was also very supportive of me, but I kept pushing myself to learn and to stay motivated and to put in the time and the effort. And now it's, now I see that all the, the work that I put in pays off because now I'm actually having fun and, and I'm creating really cool things. That's very cool. Um, and at Data Science Go, we spoke with you about one question you asked me and it was like, you put me on a spot and I couldn't come up with an answer for you. And the question was like, what is the next step for you? And I was lost for words because I didn't like, at this age you've already kind of progressed a lot like a lot and at the same time you still have to finish school thank you yeah you're welcome yeah. thank you for you know like um coming to this sense go and like chatting to me it was really inspiring but basically you've progressed so so much ahead and at the same time you still have to finish school you have to finish uni so i can't give you the normal career advice that i provide people because those people are usually out of university and they, they are looking for careers in your case um you as i understand you probably still want to go to university and and yeah. i i connect you with a few people or like uh, i i think you met a few people there at data science go yeah. who maybe helped with some advice so have you found an answer to that question over the past couple of months so overall i did and data science go and thank you for so much for helping and everyone that talked to me and gave me advice um and i realized that the I learned a few things actually at Data Science Go. And the first one I've mentioned over this podcast was doing projects. Projects helped me learn. And I talked to a lot of people there and they said, just do projects, keep learning, keep doing cool things. Mm -hmm. And that's really been my uh, goal. And ever since I came home to New York from Data Science Go, I started an AI club at my school. Wow. And 
Congrats. Yes, That's awesome. Thank you. It's twice uh twice a month. Uh-huh. And it started a few weeks ago. Yesterday was our second meeting. And we just talk about AI and you know, kind of a little bit of teaching um how AI works, you know, all the different things. And next week hopefully we're gonna start using with our first algorithm, linear regression, starting to predict house prices. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, and how many people attend your meetup? Um, about 25. Wow. 25 people. It's after school. Yeah, it, it's a great turnout. Um, I didn't expect that much, but a lot of people were interested. And I called it AI club, not that data science club, because uh-huh. I realized if I called it data science club, people wouldn't know what that is. Yeah. But if I called it AI club, then there would be more people. And nice. That's a great way to it, give back to, your, to yeah. your community, to your peers, to help others get in the space. It's awesome. And when I went to Data Science Go, there was a huge community of, you know, data science, data scientists. Uh-huh. And I realized that I, I missed that when I come home. Um, there aren't a lot of people to talk to about all these things, you know, like neural networks, all the problems and everything. And that's why I kind of, that was my motivation for starting AI Club. I realized that if there was a community of people that want to learn this, then there's always someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, wow, that's uh, very true. So it was cool. Like for me, every time Data Science Go is a really cool place to see everybody get together and how inspired and creative and sharing everybody is with each other. And I, I love that. So I, I totally get your feeling. You you want to recreate that at, in your hometown so you can have that not just once a year, but every week or like yeah. every second week. So pro- huge congrats to you. That's, that's a massive Thank step you. forward. Thank you. Okay, so doing projects and growing as part of a community, helping your community grow. Those are your next steps. And um, yeah, sounds sounds really cool. Are you excited? I'm very excited. I'm, I'm very excited for the future in AI Club, you know, um, progressing myself, doing projects. Yeah, I'm really motivated and I'm just ready to work. Fantastic. Well, um, Edis, I wish you, you know, like the best of luck with all these things. It sounds such a, like a, such a great journey you're embarking upon. Um, yeah, and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This has been yeah, a great, great, great episode. Before I let you go, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch, contact you, follow your career, and basically find you online? Yeah, so um, my email, uh, you can email me. My email is edis at mm-hmm. And I also have a LinkedIn. So you can, um, if you want to text me or message me, you can do it from there. Gotcha. We'll we'll include the LinkedIn in the show notes for sure. Great. And people can find you there. Uh highly recommend for everyone to connect with Edis and see <laughs> see you. how his career progresses. Okay, and uh one final question for today. What's uh, you read a lot of books. So what's a book that yes. you can recommend to our listeners, something that's inspired you to take your career further? So I I had two books in mind mm-hmm. and they both have two different things. So my favorite book for the mathematical side of data science is the 100 page machine learning book Mm -hmm. um i think that it's really good and from scratch you can learn a lot of the mathematical theory behind it and just an overall awesome book and the second book is more of um it's a really good book as well i think you know it's uh confident data skills (laughs) thanks man yeah it's i read it i picked it up at that data science go and uh, i started reading it i'm almost done with it and it's just a great overall book. There's a lot of great concepts and a lot of great charts and graphs that I just had that I enjoy looking at and just researching. 
So fantastic! Thanks for the shout out. That's that's really cool. Um, uh, as actually as we speak, I have on my computer opened the the files for the second edition. I'm working on the second edition. That's great. Yeah. So that's that's gonna. It's already like I think it's already announced on Amazon and. But it's coming out mid next year, so I'm very excited about that. And oh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm excited too. You got me excited, <laughs> man. I'm glad. I'm glad you you're getting some value. And uh, another book too, a hundred page machine learning book. I haven't uh, read it myself, but I'm sure that there's a lot of value in yeah. uh, in that. So once again, Edis, thanks for coming on the show, and can't Thank wait. You for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Can't wait to catch up uh, again sometime soon and see how where you know your career and your learning your projects take you yeah that would be great thank you all right yeah so there we have it ladies and gentlemen that was edis gonular aspiring data scientist somebody who is very young but is already powering through into the field of data science and artificial intelligence i really hope you found this episode as inspiring as i did make sure to connect with edis we're going to leave his linkedin um, on the show notes And personally, for me, the most exciting and inspiring part of this episode uh, was probably like everything was really cool. But probably I would say two things. The first one was like how he codes models from scratch is very surprising. But the most inspiring was the fact that at the start, he didn't find data science and AI fun, but he promised himself they'll be fun and they became fun and became even more fun than he thought they would be. I think that's a very cool psychological technique any one of us could use in order to get more into something that we really believe in get into whether it's data science ai into a hobby an interest a profession like promise yourself it will be fun and work for it to become fun and then assess in a few in a a bit of time i think that was a really cool tip um as usual, you can find the show notes for this episode at superdescent.com slash 317. There you will find a URL to Edison's LinkedIn, any uh, materials that we mentioned on the show, plus the transcript for this episode. So as mentioned, make sure to connect with Edis for his career. I can already tell he's going to have a very bright future if he keeps going the way he is going now. And I'm personally very excited to see where it's going to take him. So if you want to meet Edis and lots and lots of other inspiring and talented data scientists in person, make sure to get your tickets to Data Science Go and we'll see you there. Until next time, happy analyzing.